okay. This is our first week, self-ish, right? So um, well, let's start with something that we all know. We're all very aware of Transformation Tuesday. Are you aware of that? The hashtag Transformation Tuesday? See we, oh, I thought everybody would know that. It's just me and you, Chase. Just me and you. So um, Transformation Tuesday is just like a social media phenomenon where you, um, you take a picture of you now and then you post it beside a picture of you years earlier and everybody like likes it and they comment on it and the comments are typically stuff like this wow holy cow you've really changed um i I brought a couple can we just just a couple to make sure you see what i'm talking about like look at that like from 2010 to two i don't know these people by the way um just we got one more that's kind of cute how she tried to pull off the exact same post um, so Transformation Tuesday, so we see those, and maybe you've posted that before, maybe you've done one or two of those, and they're awesome. I mean, I love those. You know, I love seeing the transformation. But, but listen, the key that makes those pictures work, this is really important, okay? I need you to get this right at the beginning. The, what makes those pictures work is that there's a lot of time between the pictures. Okay, I felt like that was a lot clearer. I'm going to say it one more time because you've got to get, if you don't get this, the rest of the message is toast, okay? So the, what makes those work, the reason people go, wow, I like it, and like, you know, emojis all over the place, fire, hundreds, you know, the reason that happens is because there's a lot of time. So like if somebody posted a picture, if I post a picture of myself today and then next Tuesday, two days from now, I posted another picture of me and I hashtag Transformation Tuesday, people would be like, what's the joke? Two days, y'all. It's not enough time, right? It's not enough time to, to see the change from one to the other. So what, what we see in Transformation Tuesday is like this, this process. It's, it's one thing to say, I'm changed. It's another thing to say, I'm changing. Okay, so the I'm changing doesn't get a lot of likes because it's kind of sometimes hard to see even in ourselves. The I'm changed is like, you know, four years apart, seven years apart, definitely. Like, wouldn't it be funny if you, this Tuesday, maybe some of you would want to do this, post a baby picture of yourself and then post a picture of yourself now, hashtag Transformation Tuesday. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? People would be like, wow, you've really changed. You've gotten a lot bigger, right? I see a lot of difference. The reason why this is important is because, like, this self, self-ish, I need you to understand ish, right? Because it's, ish is actually, it's actually in Webster's Dictionary. Do you know that? Ish, if you, if you look up ish, here's what it means. It means somewhat, to some extent. So if you add ish to the end of it, um, we are really good in this church at using ish, right? So if you ask somebody, what time's that? What time, what, what time are we going to get together? They'll say, oh, I like, you know, like 7.30-ish. What that means is I'm not sure I can fully commit to 7.30 because what if I, you know, like a train crosses before I can get there, which is always the excuse for I didn't leave on time, right? So we say ish, just kind of a little bit of fudge time, just to make sure that if we're a little bit late, you can't hold our feet to the fire and say, well, you said you'd be here at 7. No, I said I'd be here at 7.30-ish. Yeah, but it's 1, right? right. So that ish is like to some extent, if you were to say to somebody, if they said, are you a Christian? And you said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian-ish. What would that mean? I mean, I'm a Christian to some extent, kind of. 
somewhat. And that, that ish, what well, you see, that ish is, is kind of like Pastor Jay talked about this last Sunday night in Encounter. Remember he said between here and there. So the, the ish is kind of in between, right? We're, we're, we're not, we're changed, but we're also changing. And like sometimes this is where we live. Is it just me? Like the Christian faith is actually, we're moving from being selfish to being unselfish. But sometimes we find ourselves, we're not really selfish and we're not really unselfish. We're more self-ish. And that's a hard place to be. It's not really where God wants us to be. Our old nature apart from Christ was selfish. It was, here's the definition, concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself. God, I don't want to give you flashbacks, but do you remember in high school, did you know somebody who that defined? They were excessively and exclusively concerned with themselves. And that's a hard, that's what we were apart from Christ. You've got to see that. We'll see that this morning. Apart from Christ, we were selfish. And in Christ, we're unselfish. That's, our, that's who we are now. But sometimes we're, we're not really that or this. We're just kind of in this little weird place in the middle where we're, life is kind of about others and it's kind of about ourselves. We're self-ish. So when we tell the world that Jesus has made us new, sometimes it can, it can seem like we're showing them a picture of Transformation Tuesday this week to next week. And they look at you and go, really? You're following Jesus? I don't really see the change. Now, listen, if you just gave your heart to Jesus, I can see it. But, man, if we gave our heart to Jesus years ago, and the world can still look at us today and say, I don't, I don't know if I see a change there, then we've got to get out of this ish place We've got to say goodbye to the old man once and for all. This morning, I want you to see that that's what God's calling us to. We say this at the, at the gathering. Our mission is to become disciples. That's a really fancy word, right? So to become disciples, here's what that means. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus who makes other people, helps other people become followers and disciples of Jesus. So if I am a disciple and I help somebody else follow Jesus and they become a disciple, then guess what that made me? I'm a discipler. We want, to, we want to become disciples, and all of us are in this process of becoming disciples. And this isn't rocket science, and we're not the first church to come up with this, but our process for doing that is three things. We want you to worship, we want you to be in community, and we want you to serve. So think of it like as a three-legged stool, right? Worship, community, and service. We believe this, that when we do those three things, guess what happens? That's part of the process, how, how God kills the old nature in us. This morning we're going to talk about worship. I just need you to see that sometimes what we do is we, we vote for one or two of those as our favorite. I really love worship. I mean, that was so good this morning, right? We love worship. But if worship's all we got, we can't sit on the stool or even, and here's what becoming a disciple is, we can't help somebody else step up onto the stool and go farther than we've gone. Oh, oh hey, I would never do that, Pastor Paul. Never. Well, no, but what you, what you might do is really give yourself to worship and really give yourself to serving and tell yourself that you're twice as, be twice as good as the people who only like one. But if you do that, you still can't stand on the stool, can you? 
or help anybody else up on the stool. The only way to build that strong foundation is for all three of those to be in place. And for the next three weeks, that's what this whole series is about. How can worship and community and serving help us finally, finally live a life that's not stuck in the ish part of becoming unselfish? This morning, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be there for the next few minutes, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 15 through 17. Here's what I need. I need you to get this first. I need you to see um, the change from old to new, right? So I told you that, like, we, when we come to start to follow Jesus, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we put our trust in him and what he did at the cross, something happens in us, right? And you need to see that this is in this verse. This is what happens when we choose to follow Jesus. It says this, he died, Jesus, for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, raise your hand if that's you. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. He, here's the three things I need you to see right, right now. Three things in these verses that have happened, have happened. This is the change, the transformation that has already happened in the life of believers. Verse 15, we have a new purpose. He says, we no longer live for ourselves, we live for Jesus. Verse 16, we have a new perspective. Our view of God and our view of others has changed. Remember, he said, we used to regard people from a human point of view, how differently we see them or know them now. And in verse 17, you and I, if we're in Christ, are new people. We're a new person. You see that? He says, the old is gone and new life has begun. We belong to Christ. We've become a new person. I want you to see those are three very real changes that have happened in you and also in the person next to you. If we're in Christ, those are three things that have happened in us. That's a fact. Whether our lives reflect it or not, that's what this whole, series, this whole series is about. But that has happened. And so what I want you to see is those three real changes all come from one source. Look at the beginning of the next verse, verse, verse 18. And all this is from God. See, he is the source of the transformation. H have you ever felt like you were failing as a Christian? And so the, ten, the temptation is to try harder, isn't it? You wake up in the morning going, today I will not be impatient. <laughs> you get behind every slow car, right? Today I will think of others first, and you can't stop thinking about yourself. Like we try to be a better Christian as if we're the source of it. But we're not the source. He is all this, this new purpose, perspective, and person. All of that comes from God. Sometimes we get frustrated because we're not getting through the ish part fast enough. And so we try to hurry it along. We, we can't really hurry that along. This is something that God does in us. He creates a new person and he starts to bring out these new purpose, perspective, our new person, our new character. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's the one who sets us apart as holy. And listen, sanctification, big word, right? Huge word, and here's what sanctification means. 
It means becoming holy, being set apart. And he does that in us. Verse 18, all this is from God. So these three steps, worship, community, serving, these are all ways that God works that into our lives. So that hopefully a year from now, you've been following Jesus, and you wake up one morning going, wow, you know what? I, I don't live for myself anymore. I don't see people the same way I used to see people. I, I feel like I'm a new person. I'm becoming a new person. That's God's design, is that the longer that we live on this earth, the less we look like us and the more we look like Jesus. He is working all of this. This morning, I want us to just focus on worship. So we saw in verse 16 that God gives us this new perspective. I want to show you um, why perspective is so important. Listen, if we get perspective wrong, and you know what perspective is, right? Perspective is seeing things in their proper place, their proper size, right? If we get perspective wrong, it can be deadly. Check out this. I would argue that many people, Christians included, are overwhelmed by sharks in their lives. And the reason we're overwhelmed by sharks is because we've, we don't have a big enough boat. What I mean by that is we don't have a big enough view of God. And guess what changes that? It's not a shocker. Worship. Worship changes. Worship expands our view of God. It kind of gives us this bigger boat. We need a bigger view of God, and worship provides that. So uh, you're already in 2 Corinthians 5. Go back two chapters, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And let me just show you how this works kind of in action, okay? So I'll read it first from the New Living Translation and then maybe from the NIV as well. Here's what it says. So all of us who have had that veil removed. He's been talking about how Moses had a veil and it was removed. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. From the NIV, here's what it says. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, let me just um, show you how this explains kind of what happens when we are worshiping God. Okay, And just, we don't have time to go into all this. But worship is so much more than just singing, right? We didn't just worship for four songs. Y'all got that, right? 
we're worshiping right now. If you're engaged with the Word of God, you'll worship at the end when you drop an offering into the container, right? Hopefully, you were worshiping Jesus as you walked in and were welcoming people as, as they were here. You'll, you'll hopefully be worshiping tomorrow when you go to school and or work. I know that's a stretch, right? You're like, I can't worship at work. Yes, you can, right? Because actually how you do your job is worship. We can't go into all that, but that, you just got to know it's much bigger than just singing, right? Singing, honestly, is the easy part of worship. So this is what happens when we worship. We all reflect the Lord's glory. The Greek word for reflect literally means look in the mirror. So when you and I will use singing, because that's what we just did. When you and I are, are engaged in a worship song and we're singing and we're contemplating the words and we're looking, the Bible says we're almost, it's like we're staring in a mirror at Jesus. We're, we're captivated with Jesus. We're looking at him. We're staring. We're studying. I don't know how you look in the mirror. I know how I look in the mirror if I'm trying to find something. Like, you know, like, what is that? I feel like there's a hair. What is that? Like, you get all these mirrors and you shine lights. Like, if you're putting on, I've never put on makeup, so I don't know how that works. But, like, you got to have bright lights and you stare and you, like, you study yourself. Like, that's what this means. We all, with a veil removed, can reflect the glory of the Lord. We, we contemplate it. We stare. We look into the mirror. We're, we're captivated with him. And when we do that, here's what I want you to see. First truth about worship, it's all about what we see. Everybody worships something. A lot of people today are going to worship football. Worship is all about what we see. And so what, what Paul's saying is we have the veil's been taken away. We can come boldly into his presence and we can see him. We can contemplate him. What are we looking at? What do you stare at in your life? What consumes your time and your talents, your treasures? What consumes your thoughts? What we see is the first step of what we worship. A couple of verses, Psalm 101.3 says this. The psalmist says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Psalm 119.37, he said, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Give me life through your word. I thought about Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, he saw the Lord, right, high lifted up. And because he saw him, he was sent by him. you got to see him. Worship's all about what we see. And here's why this is so important. Look what he said next in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He said, we, we contemplate the Lord. We stare into that mirror. We stare at the picture of Jesus. And then as we do that, we're being transformed into his image. So worship first is about what we see, and then second, it's, it's that what we see is what we'll be. The Greek word for transformed is where we get metamorphosis. All the smart people in the room are like, I know that word. It means you're changing, right? You're becoming something else. What we see is what we'll be. In other words, what we give our attention to, what we stare at, what we, what we contemplate, it affects us. It changes us. It's crazy to think this, but when I was a kid, I've told you before, like, I loved the Charlie Brown comics. And my, our family had this huge um, collection of, of comic strips, and my mom took them away from me. She would not let me read them. And I was like, why did you do that? And she said, because Lucy is a crab. And when you read that comic, you become a crab. Like, what you look at changes who you are. Everybody worships something. And if you look at their life long enough, you'll know what it is. 
because we become like what we worship. That's your idea, the big idea today. We become like what we worship. So we've got to make sure that we're worshiping the right person. It means that seeing God changes the way that we see everything else. And when we see him, we start to see things like him. You see why? It's, it's impossible to worship God in a church service and then go and not tip your server really well. Because you see the generous heart of God, and then you go and do the generous heart of God. What you see is what you worship, and what you worship is what you become. And if we only do that once a week then there's six days between that of you becoming something else when what God really intended was for you to have private worship and devotion every day, all day, 24-7, seeing him. Every aspect of the believer's life, that new life, is built on the foundation of worship. So worship has got to be right. We have to have a life that's postured before him. So when we get our lives a little bit off track, not that that would ever happen to any of you, when we become a little more selfish than unselfish, worship is the remedy for that. I'm not going to read all of Psalm 73, but Psalm 73, the psalmist is complaining to God. Like, I keep seeing all these people that don't love you, and they're doing better than I am. And I don't understand why. And he complains, complains, complains. And finally, at verse 17, something happened that changed his perspective. And here's what it was. When I entered the sanctuary of God, I understood. Worship brings that perspective that we so desperately need. It opens up our view. It gives us that bigger boat, right, so we can handle the sharks in life. A life of worship creates that. If our, so listen, if our lives are out of bounds, so as we're going from selfish to unselfish, if we're kind of in that selfish state more often than not, if our lives are out of bounds, we just need to ask ourselves one simple question. Who am I looking at? And if my life is consumed with an image of me, then I'm the biggest part of my life. But when I look at Jesus and my life is filled with an image of him, then I get his perspective on the people in my life. Listen, this morning, uh, this week we're partnering with Love Life Charlotte. And what I want you to see is that Love Life Charlotte and, and Pastor Andre's going to come, and he's going to share more about what they do and what we get to do with them and how that ties in. But here's how this ties into worship. Do you know the, the ludicrousy of me as your pastor standing before you and asking you to value life if you don't value the giver of life? Worship allows us to have his heart. So if we, if we become what we worship when we give our lives to worshiping the Father, then we become like the Father. We have his heart for people that we're going to get to go serve this week through Love Life Charlotte. Listen to this statement. When we live our lives in front of God, that's worship, we'll value life that comes from God. Do you know why people don't value a prayer walk? They don't value life? It's because they don't value the one who gave it. You cannot spend your life in worship and not come out of that moment with the heart of the person you've been worshiping. I've got to, I'm going to be done and you're going to come. Let me just drop this little nugget in you. This morning in prayer, here's what God put on my heart. 
if I was going to sum this whole thing up, and then Pastor Andre's going to come, you can come on, because he's going to give us some practical, like, here's what Love Life is doing, and here's how we can get involved. But you need to get this, okay, so that you'll say yes when he gives you the invitation. Worship is seeing in a mirror and then mirroring what we see. You get that? We see in a mirror. We look at the glory of the Lord, and then we spend our entire life, work, school, singing, reading, prayer life at home, public, private. We spend our whole life mirroring for others what we saw, and that's the Father heart of God who loves life. And because he loves life, we love life. Would you guys give a big, huge welcome to Pastor Andre as he comes? Thank you, Pastor Paul. Man, I love that message. I was telling Pastor Paul that I was a worship pastor here in Charlotte. And the reason I love life is because I've encountered Jesus and I've worshipped him. And I've fallen in love with him. And the things that break God's heart are now the things that break my heart. The things that God loves are the things that, that I love and I, and I cherish and I'm passionate for. And God loves life. He cares for life, for human beings, for babies. And, and, um, and I can't think of a better thing to do to, to stand in the gap and to pray for a human being to be saved. So that's why we do what we do. So before I get started, I want you to check out this video. This is a video of a lady that went to get an abortion at the abortion center here in Charlotte. And uh, she chose life, and we partnered her with a local church and a woman in the local church to mentor her. Check it out. When I had Aiden, I was 16. I worked three jobs. I was in school. I never really liked to ask anybody to help me with him because I always felt like he was my responsibility. So when I found out I was pregnant with Akeem, I was looking for a way out. But that's what made me end up going to get an abortion. So when I got there, it was the RV in between me and the abortion center. But I saw on the outside it said free ultrasound. So I went up there and I got an ultrasound and I saw my baby. And that's what made me decide not to go through. It's almost like, how did you even think about getting an abortion? So I think it was like two weeks after I had went, somebody from Love Life called me and he had matched me with Nikki. And I think that same day, Nikki had called me and then we had set up so we could meet with each other. I knew it was God aligning us together. It doesn't matter what you need. It doesn't matter what time you need to call me. I'll be there. And it was important for me because I gave her my word that I would be there to let her know that this walk isn't something that she has to do by herself. She has me and the church along with us. Having Nikki, I always had somebody I could talk to, or if I didn't feel comfortable asking my mom something, it was easy for me to ask Nikki because, you know, she wasn't going to, like, judge me or anything, so. I'm looking at her as if she was my child as well. It's just amazing how God orchestrates things because I really wasn't expecting to become a mentor for my life. It was amazing how that all worked out. So it doesn't matter how old a king gets, I'll be here. Um, because it's basically a friend-family connection now. It's no longer a mentor-mentee connection. After I had a king, the support still continued. I still talk to Nikki to this day, and I chose life in December. And one of the best decisions I ever made was to keep a king. Be a mentor and get involved is an amazing thing to just know how you're helping somebody else. Yeah, put your hands together what God is doing. 
See, we don't just say, hey, choose life and then good luck with that decision. We say, we want to encourage you to choose life and we'll walk with you. We'll partner with you. We'll disciple you. And, the, and see, when they say Love Life is doing this, what, what's really happening is the church. We are connecting the church to these moms and these uh, um, women in the church are stepping up and saying, hey, I'll mentor you. I'll walk with you. I'll partner with you. So you guys are officially adopting week 32 out of our 40-week journey of hope. And this is your second year, right, Pastor Paul? Your second year. And so first I want to thank you, Pastor Paul and Wendy, for partnering with us and all those of you that are partnering with us. So I want to give you a cool recap. In the past 31 weeks, we've seen 372 moms and dads choose life just this year. In the 31 weeks, 372 humans Little babies that are going to grow up, that are going to graduate from high school, be given the opportunity to get married, to serve the Lord, and then they'll have kids, and it, it goes on from generation to generation. Um, I remember seeing the movie Schindler's List, and in that movie, they said that Schindler was responsible for seeing 1,100 uh, Jews saved. Do you guys remember that movie? But then they showed the descendants of Schindler's List, and it was over 5,000 people that lived as a result of what Schindler did. So who knows all the lives that are going to be saved as a result. And also, check this out. On Saturday, we've seen 54, during the prayer walk in the past 31 weeks, we've seen 54 moms and dads choose life, and actually 55 babies saved because one of those moms were carrying twins. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So God is doing some awesome stuff. Go to the next slide. So here's our mission. Love Life Charlotte is uniting and mobilizing the church to create a culture of love and life that will result to an end to abortion and the orphan crisis. And Luke chapter 1, verse 37 says, for nothing is impossible for God. We're just crazy enough to believe that when the church prays that abortion can end in our city. Does anybody believe that nothing is impossible for God? We're believing that Charlotte, North Carolina will be the first major city that all four abortion clinics shut down. Now, that's crazy. That's big, but we serve a great big God. Next slide. We believe that it's not up to a politician or legislation to see abortion end. It's up to the church. When the church responds, that's when the change takes place. When God, God has called the church to shape the culture... And then politicians and legislations will follow. Why is that? Because politicians, they want a job. Am I right? But it's the church's job to, sh to change the culture. Next slide. So I want you to hear the tragic truth of abortion, that abortion is the leading cause of death in the United States. Not cancer, not heart disease. 17,000 babies are killed every week as a result to abortion in the United States. In North Carolina, right here in Charlotte, 150 to 200 babies are killed every week as a result for, uh, of abortion. Now, you may ask, well, that's happening in Charlotte. I'm over here. Anybody in this area will go to Charlotte to have the abortion. There are no abortions here in this area. They will go to Charlotte. 
That abortion center is actually the largest abortion center in the entire southeast. They do more abortions than any facility than Miami, Atlanta, uh, Jacksonville. That one is the largest abortion center right in our backyard. Abortions are allowed up to birth in some states. In fact, there are seven states in the United States that allow abortions all the way up to birth. Here in Charlotte, you're allowed to have abortion all the way up to 20 weeks. One in four women will have an abortion in their lifetime. That also means one in four men will be a part of an abortion and oftentimes encourage and pay for that abortion. So we believe this is more of a man's issue than it is a woman's issue. If men were taking the rightful place as the men of God that God's called them to be, these women would not be put in the situation in the first place. Right, men? So men, we're asking you to rise up and to be defenders and protectors of our women and children. Men, will you lead the way? Will you lead your family? Will you come and join us? Oftentimes, it's been the women that have been leading the charge and the women that are the PRC uh, people, but we're asking the men to rise up and to be defenders and protectors of our women and children. Next slide. So we are not about shame and condemnation, but about healing and restoration. You heard the scripture that Pastor Ball uh, spoke on this, and I'm going to say it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. So I just want to say this. If one in four women have had an abortion, that means there's some of you here may have had an abortion. And I don't want you to feel shame and condemnation right now. I want you to know that once you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, he's completely taken away all your sins. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's taken your sin from you. So I don't want you to feel shame and condemnation. We're all about healing and restoration. And that's why we connected with a ministry called Restored Life. And this ministry is connecting men and women to a Bible study that God uses to bring healing and restoration. My mom had three abortions. And she kept it a secret for 17 years. And we grew up in an Assembly God church just like this. This is, this is pretty much our church. But this was a little more modern. And, and, and she didn't want to tell anybody because she was filled with the shame and the condemnation. She got connected to this Bible study. It was called Surrendering the Secret. And God used it to completely set her free of all the shame and the condemnation. And now she teaches the class. And she's doing one right now. She's ministering to two ladies in this Bible study and taking them through the healing and restoration in Florida. Isn't that awesome? God is so good. So if you know somebody or if that's you, come in the back. I have a card. I want to connect you to you. I want to connect you to that Bible study. Next slide. Prayer is the key. Everybody say prayer is the key. I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We believe the key to see abortion end is prayer. These are my car keys. If I want to get home this afternoon, I have to put this puppy in the, end, in the car, turn it on, and it will get me home. That's the key for me to get home. The key to see revival happen, the key to see abortion end, the key to see sex trafficking end, the key to see your, your, uh, your family experience the presence of God is prayer. Right, church? I've given you the keys. And what, what, what's been happening is as we've been out there praying and interceding on Saturday, 
we, we're seeing uh, the Lord through our prayers binding the enemy so he can't deceive these women to think that abortion is the only option. And then we're loosing hope and faith and they're getting an understanding that, oh my gosh, God has a purpose and a plan for this baby inside me and I'm going to choose life because there's people to help me. There's a shift in their mind and it's happening through prayer. It's the prayer combined with people reaching out and saying, hey, we'll help you. Prayer is the key. So I want you to see the results in the past three and a half years as we've been out there praying and interceding. I want to show you the results. Check out this next slide. We've seen well over 1,500 families choose life in the past three and a half years. Come on. 1,500. We've seen a 70% drop in abortions taking place on Wednesdays when the church is fasting and praying and on Saturdays when we're doing the prayer walk. So last week, we did Youth for Life. Yesterday, we had over 1,000 middle school, high school, and college kids out there praying. We had many of them fast and pray on Wednesday. And, and last Wednesday, two moms chose life. Come on. Prayer works. So we've seen a 70% drop of people even showing up to the abortion clinic on Saturdays and on Wednesdays. We've seen well over 4,500 people. We're actually probably now more like 50,000 people that have participated in the prayer walk in the last three and a half years. Isn't that cool? We're well over 250 churches that are partnering with us. We're now in Greensboro and Raleigh doing the prayer walks and churches in those areas are partnering with us. And in two weeks, we are starting Love Life New York City. Come on. Did you know that there, just in, the, in New York City, there's over 64,000 abortions that take place every year in New York City? There's 35 abortion clinics in New York City and only four PRCs. And so what's happened is, is the churches in New York City have seen what's been happening in North Carolina have contacted us. We've been coming up and been talking to the churches, and we already have 20 churches that say, hey, we want to partner with you. We want you to come to the largest abortion center right there in Manhattan called the Margaret Sanger Abortion Center, Planned Parenthood, and we're going to start doing prayer walks in about two weeks. Come on. Lord, do it in New York City. Can you imagine that 64,000 abortions happen every year in that city and we've seen 25 abortion workers feel compelled to leave the industry and we've got we've got many of them connected to the local church and we've seen well over a thousand people go beyond the prayer walk and got connected to be a mentor have got involved in orphan care so we're also so what we say is this, we're after the orphans inside the womb and outside the womb and so we're connecting people with people that are, that are saying, hey, I'll open up my home to a kid in the foster care system. Or I would love to adopt. And, and we want to see the whole orphan crisis uh, be completely ended as the church rises up. So we're seeing that all happen. So um, uh, last year we had all the churches come back for one big prayer walk. Did you guys go last year? So many of you guys, you may even see yourself. We had over 6,000 people at that place, not protesting, not yelling at anybody, but praying. Check out this video. Now, I wish that the good Christian people of my area would have come to that desk camp to plead for our lives like you're doing here. We 
if only a few had come, they would have been demonized and destroyed. But what if thousands, if thousands had gathered? Do not be weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap the reward if we do not lose heart. We unite today again, not just here in Charlotte, but in Greensboro and in Raleigh. It is our opportunity today to love our neighbor enough to stand up and be counted. It's our opportunity today to love our neighbor enough to reach out in love and to say there is a better way. We are a part of the greatest organism on the planet. We believe in your church. And we pray today that you will use us not to bring shame, not to bring condemnation, but to bring hope. When the church comes together, people notice. When the church comes together, the enemy takes notice. And we're driving a stake in the ground today. We're not here to put a dent in it. We're here to see it eliminated. We are here today representing the body of Christ. It's not a Baptist thing. It's not a Methodist thing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. But it is a church thing. We can no longer just sit in our churches and pray. We can no longer sit quietly and sit and do nothing. We've got to take a stand. And the moment we join together, they begin to fall. Somebody needs to join together with me. Give God the biggest shout of praise. there was not one person on these sidewalks but God heard the cries of his people and today the church is here we decided to take a stand it changed our entire church church shows up in big numbers, the numbers of abortions go down. When you come here, God shows up. But if those women in there can hear me right now, you guys have a choice. The church is here to help you walk with that baby. We will help you. Your prayers and your efforts were not in vain. God intervened. And because of you, and because God was working through you, she's here. Well, the reason for this land the reason for this celebration, the reason for that stake in the ground is because we're about to see God do something supernatural. Latrobe is no longer going to be synonymous with death and abortion, but will be synonymous with life and adoption. God has called you to do something. He's called all of us to do something. What is your place on the wall? Yeah, come on, put your hands together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The church is rising up, God. So everybody say, here, pray, go, connect. So that's what Adoption Week looks like. You guys are adopting Week 32 along with three other churches in the Charlotte area. This is the, the here part is where you hear about the tragic truth of abortion. Next slide. All right, next slide. And then this Wednesday, we are asking you to pray. Everybody say pray. Prayer is the key. We're asking you this Wednesday, would you pray and fast with us this Wednesday? When that happened last week, we saw two moms choose life. It is working. 
the power of united prayer and fasting is working. Will you join us this Wednesday and, and fast and pray with us as a church corporately? And then go. Everybody say go. The go part is where we go like on a mission trip. The cool thing about this mission trip is you don't have to raise support. You don't have to get on an airplane. You don't have to pack a bag. You don't need a passport or a visa. You can go literally 30, what, 30, 40 minutes down the road to the darkest place in our entire city that, that has been kept quiet because of our society. But it is the darkest place because every day 15 to 20 to 30 human beings are dying. And we have the opportunity to go you have, and to pray, not to protest, not to yell, not to picket, but to intercede and pray and stand in the gap for these moms to choose life. So would you go? When you come to the prayer walk, it's going to be from 9 to 11. If you're new to the prayer walk, you're going to get a free T-shirt. You're going to get a free wristband. We've got park car, uh, car parkers. We've got everything. Everything's organized for you. So come and join us from 9 to 11 and then connect. Everybody say connect. At the end of the prayer walk, we're going to give you an opportunity to go beyond the prayer walk and get connected in one of the areas of ministry that you can get connected to. Next slide. So today, right now, your pastor and I, we're calling you to action. 1 John 3, 16, 18 says this. This is how we know what love is, that Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. We are calling you to action. We worship God, we, 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 we spend time with him, and as we worship him, the things that break his heart become the things that break our heart, and then we are moved to action. Will you join us, church? What would you do? Now, I live uh, off of right in Mooresville, real close to Lake Norman. Have you, have you ever been to Lake Norman area? So what would you do if you're driving on I-77, and you're passing one of the bridges off Lake Norman, and you look over to the right and you see a mom and a baby drowning in the lake, what would you do? Yeah, you'd pull your car over, you'd jump out of the car, and you'd do your best to try to save that mama and that baby. This Wednesday is your opportunity to pull your life over just for just a couple of meals, pull it over, and stand in the gap and pray. For these moms and dads to choose life. And, they'll, and, they, and ultimately, they, they have an encounter with Jesus. That they'll fall in love with you. The, the whole atmosphere would change when they try to go to that place. This Saturday is your opportunity to pull your car over. To pull it over. And take just two hours of your day to stand in the gap. And to pray. So here's what I want everyone to do. There's a commitment card at each seat. And this is, we want every one of you, even if you filled it out. I know uh, Pastor Paul was saying that we had a sign-up sheet. And uh, many of you already signed up. This is just, um, I, I want you to fill this out again for me if you wouldn't mind. Fill this out. And um, what we want to do is we want to email you all the information you need for praying and fasting on Wednesday. We, we got a playlist of praise and worship music we want you to listen to and familiar, get, get familiar with. We got information we want to send you. So if you would like to participate with us by either or uh, fasting and praying or joining us at the prayer walk, would you fill this out? Give us your name, give us your phone number, give us your email address, and then check the box if you want to fast and pray with us. And then check the box 
if you're going to come to the prayer walk with us because we can email you everything you need to participate. I'll give you just a few seconds to do that. Go ahead. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I know abortion has been going on for 47 years in our country. But I believe that now is the time. Now is the time. I feel like God is saying, now was the time. Just like when God spoke to Moses, God tried to get his attention with the burning bush. And said, and said to Moses, Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I've seen the way they're being treated but I'm sending you, Moses, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. God used a man, one man, to go to Pharaoh and to stand in the gap for the Israelites to say, let my people go. And I believe with all my heart that God is saying, will you collectively as the churches of Charlotte all participate and be Moses to go after the stronghold of abortion? And say, let my people go. And I believe with all my heart that abortion is going to end in our city. And I believe with all my heart it's going to spread across our nation. We're having, we had over 60 cities see what's going on. They say, will you bring love life to our city? We want what's happening here. It's going to spread like a fire. And we have the opportunity to be a part of that. So if you filled out your card... What I want you to do, well, let me pray for you first. Everybody close your eyes. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that have said, hey, I, I'll pull my car over. I'll stand in the gap. I'll pray. I'll miss a couple meals. I'll pray and fast on Wednesday. I'll come to the darkest place in our city to pray. I pray, Lord, that, that this week would be a week that would change them forever. Lord, that they would feel what you want them to feel. Their heart would be broken and they'd be moved to action. That you would give us that privilege to stand in the gap for these moms, people we may never ever meet, but you've called us to do this, to stand in the gap for these people that are in crisis. And so I thank you for those people that are saying, hey, I'll answer the call. I'll be involved. Here am I. Everybody keep your eyes closed. Everybody keep your eyes closed. If you're here and you're saying, hey, I want to be involved. I want to participate in praying and fasting. And I want to come out to the prayer walk. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I just want to see you. Awesome. Yeah. All right, if you raise your hand, would you stand up? Come on, stand up. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your card, and I want you just to put it right here at the altar. As you're where you're saying, God, here am I. Use me. I'm available. Come on. And then I want you to stay up here. We're going to sing that one time through of that song, and then I'll pray with these guys. Are we okay on time? You all right? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and, go ahead and sing that song. Go ahead. Savior 
Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. We bow down before him, for he just to visualize every one of those moms that are on the appointment book for tomorrow. On Monday, there could be upwards of 20 to 30 abortions taking place on Monday. And then Tuesday, those names that are on the appointment book. And then Wednesday, remember, 150 to 200 every week. Most of them take place at that Latrobe Abortion Center. Let's pray right now for a miracle that that place would close down and that hearts would turn to the Father. Let's pray right now. Father, we pray. Pray out loud, church. We pray you would have your way. Every one of those moms that are headed to the abortion clinic tomorrow, that they are abortion determined. They're determined to end the life of their child because they're afraid. They're overwhelmed. They're dealing with all the stuff they're dealing with. But Father, we pray you would intervene right now. Holy Spirit, intervene and overwhelm their mind and their thought. And right now we pray that your will be done in them. They would say, God, not my will, but yours be done. We pray right now that you would intervene. We, we build up the hedge. and We stand in the gap for those moms and may they not show up for their appointment. And may they turn to you, God. May they go back to that church that they grew up in. May they turn to you. May they look up about going to getting connected to a local church. We pray in Jesus' name that you would have your way. 
they would choose you, Lord, and they would have an encounter with you. Father, right now we pray for the abortionist Ron Vermani and Callahales, and we, we pray for 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 um, Susan Roque and Marcus Gordon, the abortionist. We pray you would have your way with them, God. We know you you love them and you have a purpose and a plan, and it is not taking the life of humans. And so we pray that you would touch them and may they have an encounter with you in Jesus' name. May their eyes be open to who you are and may they say, what must I do to be saved? And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here today and I pray that you would anoint them to pray and intercede like they've never prayed before. I pray that that your thoughts would be their thoughts. That you would, sh- you would give them dreams and visions and you would show them exactly what to pray for. Exactly what to, how to target their prayers and intercession. And I pray we would see a record number of, a record of low amount of people to not show up at the abortion center this week because this church is praying. God, I love you. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for what you're doing. We believe nothing is impossible for you. And so we agree that abortion will end in our city because we know that's what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul.